Professor Bob Hudson. I'm a public policy specialist from Durham University. Devolution is a word which sounds great. You know, who could who could object to devolution? But the article that you wrote really raises the question of is is devolution a good thing? Is devolution a good thing? Surely it is, isn't it? Well, it's like motherhood and apple pie. It's definitely a good thing. And of course it's a good thing because I think it addresses some serious problems uh, in principle. Um, Three in particular that, that I would highlight. Number one, the UK, but certainly England, is a ridiculously centralised system. So uh, local government is exceedingly weak and power and finance resides at central level to a degree which, which uh, I would reckon is highly unusual across the developed world. So, so that does need to be addressed. Um, secondly, as a consequence of that, local government, which at one time you know, was a was a source of civic pride and a centre of provincial power, is now little more than a hollowed-out commissioning organisation. So central government is too strong, local government is uniquely weak in terms of its history over the past 150 years. And thirdly, there's the London problem, that England itself is disproportionately dominated by London. So any government that comes along and says, we're going to address these problems, uh, which essentially is what Osborne, George Osborne, the Chancellor in particular, um, was saying. Um, I don't know if I can track down some of the things he was uh, saying. Sorry, I'm just checking a document and putting my specs on here. That sounds awful on a podcast, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, the Chancellor George Osborne um, has said that uh, his proposal for, we'll come back to this maybe, a northern powerhouse amounted to a revolution in the way we govern England. I say to these great cities, it is time for you to take control of your own affairs. I think you can see how that sort of rhetoric was very attractive. You know, I think it uh, sort of pressed a lot of buttons with people right across the country. So, in principle, this is a political and policy winner. The problem, as with most things, is the devil residing in the detail, which we could go into now so uh so what is the, the the issue that you have with it and and who decides how that devolution happens and and who makes it happen um well i th- i think that question takes us to probably the first problem that we would want to talk about uh who decides what will happen well everything is decided at central government level. In particular, uh, and I just mentioned George Osborne, it's quite odd that the whole thing is being driven by the Treasury rather than the department responsible for communities and local government. So it's it's Osborne's particular um, baby, 
And the way it works is that officials from the Treasury, certainly with people from DCLG too, enter into secret, bespoke discussions with whoever approaches them and says, please, may I, have a, may I have a slice of your devolution pizza? They say, well, okay, we'll come and talk to you. Uh, these discussions have all been held behind closed doors. So at best, it's a discussion between Treasury, Department of Communities and Local Government, the leaders of the local councils who will probably be statutorily constituted as a combined authority, and the local enterprise partnerships, the LEPs. Um, now, the first problem with that is where does it leave the citizen? <laughs> because the citizen has no say, has no seat around the table, and is not party to any of these discussions. Uh, which is an odd thing because you might think in principle devolution is at least in good part about devolving power to the local citizenry. Yet here are deals being hatched that exclude the citizen voice. So uh, I, I think that's our first problem. Um, discussions taken in private. I thought it was fascinating how you, <clears throat> when you mentioned that local enterprise partnerships resisted any examination of what they were doing on the grounds that it might scare business. There was a quote in there that it might scare business, which just seemed extraordinary. Um, yeah, well, um, well, I think LEPs themselves are probably... I, I would guess any self-respecting LEP is feeling a little bit awkward itself about all of this because... You know, LEPs are not statutory bodies. They're not accountable in any way to um, people living in the local area. They're run on a shoestring, yet here they are having quite a significant voice around the table. Um, and that would be one of their concerns, you know, that, that we need to talk about these things privately. Um, I think this is all part of what, what I've been calling the, the democratic deficit. Um, the second thing that perturbs me a lot about all of this is that as well as having private discussions that exclude the people, the government then goes on to require a form of governance that they prefer and which people have no no choice over. And I'm referring here, of course, to the requirement in the Act of Parliament now that in order to get a deal in most places, which I think the Southwest might be an exception because of its geography, you must have a directly elected mayor. Um, now, you, you take where I live. I'm, I'm up here with the North East. So we will have one person whose remit will run from the Scottish borders right down to Tees Valley. It's a vast area. Uh, one person running a 
grave is important public affairs and no one's been asked if they would like that model and it's completely unclear where it leaves thousands and thousands of local councillors uh, whose services will probably no longer be required so for people who are listening to this or i mean if certainly if you try and look into it it's all very complicated and this body and that body it's certainly not something that is designed to be immediately accessible to people but this is this is something which adds to or takes away from people's uh, potential to get involved and if it takes away from i mean to what degree are we talking about what are you able to sort of roughly what level what degree of the control that we currently have over decisions made where we live are we losing under these changes there's a quite staggering clause in the uh, devolution act that gives the secretary of state for communities and local government the power to make any changes he or she likes through secondary legislation to the structures, functions, powers and membership of any public body. Um, now, who knows how that would be used, but... I mean, what you could imagine is a situation where you've got two models of, of power here. One is an all-powerful, directly elected mayor, you know, the sort of New York model. Um, responsible for a massive geography. The second model, which is still under negotiation, is what they call a mayoral combined authority. In this model, the mayor is chair of the combined authority, but dependent upon local negotiations, the members of the combined authority, which, who don't forget, is just a handful of leaders of local councils, in my case up here, uh, seven councils, the, uh, the, the, the combined authority might or might not have a veto, probably requiring a two-thirds majority over decisions of the mayor. People, I think, are incredibly confused about this. We, we've actually just had... Uh, we are the only place in the country here in Durham, where, where I live, we've just had um, a formal consultation on what we think about um, the proposed devolution deal. Uh, so every household was sent um, a, a series of seven questions. Uh, these are now being analysed by Durham County Council and the results will be revealed uh, fairly soon. And that's been, our, that's been probably the most remarkable attempt to involve the public, mm -hmm. but it's all very much after the event. Here's the deal what do you think about these aspects of it? None of the questions said, 
do you or do you not want an elected mayor? And from what I've been told, the Department of Communities and Local Government said, you may not put that question on your consultation document. If you do, the whole deal is off. That's just one little example, you know, of highly centralized nature and one-sided nature of, uh, of this devolution deal. So um, what do you think this tells us about the you know, localism and the big society and all of that stuff that was very much heralded at the beginning of this government, that it was going to give all this power back to local people and so on and so on. What do you think, you know, now that we're a few years into it and we're starting to be able to see the um, <clears throat> what it actually looks like and the kind of things that you're, you've set out in your article, what do you think it tells us about the motivation behind doing it? Who's, who, who are they doing it for? Well, um, as far as the big society goes, I, I mean, I, 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 I have written things on this. I mean, my view of, of the big society is that it was simply an attempt to cut costs uh, and transfer services out to the third sector, but without the necessary funding to accompany that transfer. And you don't hear a lot of talk these days about the big society, do you? Um, so, so where are we, we left with this? We're left with councils cut to the bone and the suspicion through uh, the whole devolution policy that what government wants to do is transfer responsibility for funding and public spending cuts to a more local level, regional, sub-regional. Um, currently, it, it, it's with local councils. Um, that's probably best not described as devolution, I don't think. It's, it's best described as delegation of responsibility for funding. Um, and it can even apply to the NHS, which in particular with uh, Greater Manchester, uh, which so far is the only devolution deal which has involved a fairly clear agreement to take on responsibility for... NHS services, um, well, the, the, there are some very important and worrying questions, I think, being raised by all of this, aren't there? Um, and what we're, what we're slowly doing is taking the national out of a lot of services that have been national and making them local. In principle, it has some attractions, but in the current economic and political climate, I'd be very worried about taking these responsibilities on when the funding was disappearing. And a lot of this stuff is um, being justified on the grounds of economic growth, <clears throat> that the LEPs are all about economic growth, that the planners now, the planning department's role is to deliver economic growth, everything's about economic growth. What do you think we run the risk of sacrificing uh, in our desperate attempt to achieve economic growth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess if there's one implicit objective 
of the devolution deals. It's the idea that they will spur economic growth. And, I mean, it, it seems to me that this has been particularly the focus on core cities. This is George Osborne's real focus, that you, you devolve to core cities and, you know, through devolving some powers over transport and regeneration, you get the benefits of agglomeration, as they say. And that may well work in certain geographies. Um, but even, even if you did get more growth, and I, I think it's a bit unclear exactly why you would, but even if you did, well, more, more regional growth is one thing. How you use the proceeds of that is another. So if you take, if you take the Northern Powerhouse as the most frequently cited example, it may well be good for Manchester, maybe even for Leeds, I think. But once you get out into the rural areas and the older industrial areas, it's not easy to see how this will be of benefit across those, those wider geographies. Um, so I think there's a question about the type of growth and the proceeds of growth, as well as whether you get the growth at all. And just to, just to go back to the LEPs for a minute, I wonder if you could just give uh, people who might not know much about them a sense of what they are and and how have they become so powerful in such a short time? Um, right, well, uh, my reading is that the LEPs were the substitutes for the so much stronger um, and statutorily constituted constituted regional development agencies, the old RDAs, uh, and they were abolished after, you know, once the coalition took office in 2010, they were abolished over a time span of a year or two. So this is the replacement, the LEPs. Um, so LEPs are not statutory bodies, so in that sense there's no clear... Uh, channels of public accountability they are they, they are basically a group of self-selecting business people who come together on a local basis and have the power to bid to regional growth funds uh, to to get money for so, so lo lo local enterprise developments uh, they do have governing bodies and Essentially, the government's arrangement is a mix of uh, local business people, again, as I said, pretty much self-selected because it's, it's all done on a voluntary basis, and members of the combined authority. So it's a mix of politicians and local business people who sit on, on, on the left governing body. Um, not a mix that always works well. Uh, up here, for example, in the northeastern uh, LEP, there has been a, a total breakdown of um, relationships between the politicians and the business people on the LEP. Uh, 
to the extent that fairly recently, in order to make the governing body non-quo rate, the politicians refused to attend the meeting. Uh, so, so these things aren't always working out too well. Um, so LEPs have sort of crept into a powerful position. Um, and, and sometimes central government will say, well, certain, certain things may be permissible at local level. For example, um, inc increasing the, the, the business rate by 2%, but only if the LEP agrees. <laughs> so, so LEPs are sort of accreting you know, little bits of power here and there, even though they have no statutory basis uh, for, for, for exercising their powers. So I, I guess most people will not have heard of LEPs. They are fairly shadowy. And I think it would be fair to argue that if they're going to exercise in an increasing range of powers, they should be put on a statutory basis and there should be proper accountability to local people. And my last question is, I suppose, if people read your article and they feel like something very valuable, something very precious is kind of slipping, either slipping through their fingers or being wrenched from their grasp, depending on which way they look at it, I suppose. What can people do about it? <laughs> well, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, because the way, well, I mean, what are we looking at here? We're looking at a whole range of different Devo deals, as they call um, I mean, what, what the Chancellor did uh, late last year was to give, really was to invite local areas, you know, probably regions and sub-regions, to put in a bid for a deal. And they were given seven weeks to do it. Seven weeks. And 38 such bids were received. Uh, most of them were not considered strong enough to take forward, so you know, we only have about half a dozen that are currently uh, going forward. I mean, I, I, I guess you could stop these deals in their tracks if, if one or more local councils who were in the combined authorities said, we don't think this is a good deal, sorry, we're pulling out. We just don't want to go ahead with it. Um, you would then suffer a loss, of course, because you'd be seen as a poor team player. There are more powers coming along, even these, if these are delegated powers. You wouldn't have access to them. And there's a bit of money at stake. You know, this always follow the money, Rob. <laughs> Council spending is being crucified. Yeah. But as part of the Devo deals, uh, the Treasury comes along and says, if you sign a deal on our terms, we will give you X amount of money. Uh, now, my own area, the Northeast, is pretty typical. So the deal up here with the Northeast Combined Authority is £30 million a year for 30 years. 
Incidentally, I have never known a political pledge that was ever honoured over 30 years. Uh, but that's the deal on offer. So, but at least in the first year, you, you get 30 million, mm -hmm. which then has to be divvied up across uh, seven local authorities. It can only be used for infrastructure development, so there's no discretion about what you do with it. But, you know, the interesting thing is that when everything else financially is completely going down the pan, then you get dangled a tiny little bit of recompense. Suddenly, that becomes crucial. Oh, we must get our 30 million. Mm. <coughs> so, well, you can turn the deal down. You can say, keep your 30 million. Um, we'd rather have our own homegrown solution of you know, double devolution down to local communities. And there are a whole batch of ways you could involve local communities more in, in decision-making. I would think you're more of an expert than I am on this. Um, but as far as the juggernaut of legislation, treasury domination, imposition of governance arrangements, which are hugely remote from... Uh, you know, where people are living and working and having their leisure time, this has just gone out of control, in my view. And mm. you, you would need to repeal the legislation and have a completely different approach.